It certainly is good to be with you this evening um, here at White Oak once more and again. Um, I must have done a decent job the last time I was here because you invited me back. So I appreciate that. Um, I am disheartened because my good brother Rick is not here. He did text me. We talked. Um, uh, Blakeland, he let me know what was going on with her. And um, that's one of my favorite girls there, uh, that Blakeland, I tell you. And um, so I have prayed for them and prayed for Rick, and we talked um, uh, back and forth through through texting and um, for a minute, and he did let me know that he wouldn't be here and, and what was going on with Blakeland. And so we wanted to let him know, and you know, that um, from our family to yours, we are praying for them. Um, things do seem to be well. He did tell me he was going to spend a few days there in Vanderbilt, and so um, so God is faithful and God is good, and so we appreciate God's grace um, upon her. If you have your copy of God's Word, call your attention to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now, contextually speaking, Hebrews chapter 4 is a continuation of thought. And so, for Hebrews chapter 4 to be understood, one must keenly understand Hebrews chapter 3. Because Hebrews chapter 4 begins with the phrase, let us therefore. Anytime you see therefore, you need to know what it's there for. And so this is a continuation of chapter 3. Now, here the Hebrews writer addresses various aspects of Jesus being better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than um, the angels chapter 1 and 2. He's better than Moses chapter 3. He's better than Joshua's rest, the Sabbath day rest, and Canaan's rest, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 3, the writer deals with a problem or really um, an issue they had with their ethnicity. The Jews held um, their ethnicity to a standard that almost equated salvation by the simple fact of just being Jewish. And so they gloried in their, their, their ethnic heritage. And so the Hebrews writer tells them very plainly, Yes, though you are Jews and though you are sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and though our fathers have observed the law of Moses, do you understand that you never received the rest in spite of your ethnic heritage? You've never received the rest. The rest doesn't come by ethnicity. It comes by faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. As we consider Joshua, who would be the military king and the conquest of Canaan, When we consider the book of Joshua and the book of Judges, one thing you understand is clearly this. The Israelites did not receive a rest. Consider the command, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. The Lord says by the hand of Moses and the cities of these people that the Lord thy God doth doth give thee as an inheritance. Thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Now I want you to understand that nothing that breatheth. For thou shalt utterly destroy, watch this, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God command you. Why, Moses? That they not teach you to do after all their abominations, which they've done to their gods. And ye sin against the Lord thy God. God commanded by the hand of Moses that Israel entering into Canaan utterly destroy all of those nations. Utterly. Men, women, children, cattle. Kill everything. That's the command. But now here's the consequence. Judges chapter 2 verse 3. 
for a little while under Joshua, they do what God commands. They don't completely drive out those nations. Those nations become a snare unto them. And so God says to them in Judges chapter 2, verse 3, I will not drive this people out from before you. And they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. God said, I'm not going to drive them out. I'm not going to drive them out. Even though God would raise up judges, he never completely drove out those people of Canaan. Why? Because the people, the Israelites disobeyed. They did not believe. And because they, they did not believe, they did not rest. So consider with me, you can break down Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 in three sections. I'm going to give you those three sections and then the lesson will be yours. Notice verses 1 and 2. We will call this beware. Here are the exhortations of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1 and 2, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but them not being mixed with faith, uh, excuse me, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so we have some things to deal with in this passage. Number one, we understand that they were to beware. Why were they to beware? Because you need to learn from your past. They needed, to, they needed to beware because this is a continued thought. Here are some things we've seen in the history of our people. And if we repeat them, then certainly we will expect the same result. And so he says, beware. Let us therefore take knowledge and heed to those things that were before. You know, there is a danger in unbelief. There is very real danger in unbelief. Actually, unbelief was the cause of the wilderness wanderings. You recall Numbers chapter 13 and the spying of the land. But do you recall what happens in 14? In Numbers chapter 14, verses 33 and 34, God says this effectively, and your children will wander in the wilderness for 40 years until your carcasses waste in the wilderness. They are going to bear your abominations. They're going to bear your iniquities. They're going to do this for 40 years based on the days that you spy the land for 40 days. A day for a year, you shall bear your iniquities. And you will know and come to understand the breach of my promise. You breached my promise because I told you if you were faithful to go spy the land, come back and believe me, you would take it. Ten unfaithful, two faithful, Joshua and Caleb. And so God says, you are going to wonder based on unbelief. The Hebrews writer says, let us therefore take knowledge of these things. Beware. You know, it would do us good as Christians to recall our spiritual history. Though we are not physical Israel, we're spiritual Jews. Romans chapter 2 verses 28 through 29. There are things that are written, Romans 15 and 4, for our learning that we through pages of comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The things that were written aforetime were written as examples to us. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. Paul would say, now these things happen unto them as examples. But they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. We take heed to the things that we've seen in the past. And though we're not fleshly Jews... We are spiritual Israel, and so we can take inventory of our spiritual history. 
We can read the scriptures and understand that the God we serve, that the God that Israel served in the Old Testament is the same God that we serve. We simply serve under different dispensations. You'll recall that John will record for us in John 1.18 and 17 and 18 that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Same God, just different dispensations. The same God has demanded obedience through the patriarchal dispensation, through the Mosaic dispensation, and now in the Christian dispensation. Nothing has changed regarding obedience. Jesus would effectively say in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so as God's people in this dispensation, we can certainly take inventory of our spiritual history to make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes of Israel. And so that's what the Hebrew writer begins the chapter with. Let us therefore. And so the Hebrew writer talks about uh, them not fearing God. The fear that we have of God is not a fear, a terrible fear of, of, of God striking us dead when we make one mistake, though we should fear God in that regard also. Right? In Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Yes, we should fear God that way, but God wants reverential fear. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, Peter would say this, For if you call upon the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of this sojourning here with fear. What Peter is stating is that we fear with reverence. God wants reverential fear from us, and that's what Israel lacked. Israel heard the gospel. They heard the gospel. Well, what do you mean, brother teacher? Because as far as we understand, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the Hebrews writer says, we have heard the gospel and so did they. So what does he mean? Contextually, what does he mean? Contextually, what he means by gospel in the very pure sense of the word, he really is referring to good news. There were two types of good news. In the Christian dispensation, it is the gospel. That is the good news. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which you have heard, which you have received, by which also you stand and are saved if you keep that which um, I have committed unto you. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And so we have heard that. That's our good news. But what Israel heard was the good news of the promised rest. That's what they heard. The good news that God would give them a land of rest. But they didn't believe it. Or they believed it and it was unprofitable in that they believed it because they didn't act with that belief. You can believe all day long, friends. We can believe all day long, but until we act, the belief means nothing. Our faith has always been manifested in action. That has always been the case. We know James 2.19, you believe there is one God, you do well. The devils believe and tremble. Belief has always been manifested in action. Actually, if you follow John chapter 3 verse 16 all the way down through verse 36, what you will find is this. That the idea of belief that Jesus espouses there in that verse, in that chapter, in that passage is obedience. Actually, the word actually translates obedience down further in the text. He that believeth 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth, obeys him, shall have everlasting life. Belief has never been enough. It is not enough, and it will never be enough as long as the Lord tarries. And so beware. We have to beware because we can understand and see, and it's effectively written for us that which they had done and the things that, that caused them to fall. We can beware of these things. As Paul said, quoted earlier, Romans 15 and 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so the writer says, beware. Secondly, the point you can notice from this passage is verses 3 through 9. Now, here is the passage that deals with Joshua. Now, your Bible, based on the translation you may have, it may say Jesus. Now, you have to know a little bit of Bible, and you want to talk with Seventh-day Adventists. All right, you want to talk to Seventh-day Adventists. They will try to use this passage against you. See, Jesus. See, Jesus talks about the Sabbath day. No, the word there is Joshua. In the original text, the word Jesus there, Joshua, you do understand that the word Joshua is the Hebrew name. Jesus is the Greek name. They're the same name. Jesus' name in Hebrew will be Joshua. Joshua's name in Greek will be Jesus. Same name. Actually, Joshua is a type of Christ. So that makes sense. However, let's look at verses 3 through 9. For we which have believed do enter into a, into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And then that place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, enter not in because of why? Unbelief. Imagine that. Verse 7, again, he limited a certain day, saying, And David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if if Jesus, and my translation states Jesus, but the word is Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth a rest, therefore, to the people of God. The second point in this passage after beware is to believe and the belief that we are referencing is obedient belief it's the faith that causes to obey it is not just a mere acknowledgement of facts we allow those facts to cause us to act and so it's an obedient faith Only by this obedient faith would Israel have entered into rest. And it is by this obedient faith that we will enter into rest. There is no difference. The faith that was required of Israel to enter in Canaan and drive out the inhabitants is the same exact faith, though be pointed in Christ, that we need to enter into heaven. It's the same faith, friends. We believe. But that belief causes us to act. He talks about the rest. The problem was unbelief, disobedient belief. They believed. They'd seen God. They'd seen the Red Sea. They'd seen these things. They they believed God, but they disobeyed God. They believed God, but that belief wasn't manifested in action. You know, fear is, is the antithesis to faith. Fear is the arch enemy to faith. They are diametrically opposed. You can't have one. They are 
They are negatively correlated. When one goes up, the other goes down. Faith and fear cannot exist. They cannot coexist. Not happily. They were to enter into a rest. But the promised rest that God had always meant for it to be never really pointed to here. It would be a symbol. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. All those things were shadow of things to come. Not the very image of the things. Even the rest. It's amazing, isn't it? That in the Bible you can find three rests. Did you know that? You find three rests in the Bible. Only one of them is the one that God had always planned. The rest was never meant to be here. The rest lies beyond here. The rest is a place. It's a state of mind. It's condition in which we accept God's, God's, God's will and his word and his way that we can achieve and realize that rest. Amazingly, the, the New Testament writers make clear that rest. As I've had this discussion with Sabbatarians, show me one time in the New Testament where in the Decalogue you ever find repeated, quoted, remember the Sabbath day. Nine of the Ten Commandments quoted again in the first, in, in, in the, in the New Covenant. Nine of the Ten quoted in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. One you'll never find quoted. Remember the Sabbath day. But it was a rest. It was a type of rest. Canaan was a type of rest. But it wasn't the rest. You'll notice here that the Hebrews writer quotes David. Psalm 95, 11. If you note that really, really, it will be Psalm 95, 7 through 11. But for the sake of this lesson, let's just concentrate on verse 11. God said, but I swear unto them by my wrath that they would not enter into my rest. Now, wait a minute. By the time this psalm was written, was not the Sabbath day already being observed? So how could they not enter into something that they had been experiencing for hundreds of years? So either the rest that David's talking about prophetically is the Sabbath day or it's not. And the Hebrew writer brings this out. That's not the day that David was talking about. It's not the Sabbath day. They had the Sabbath they had had the Sabbath for years before David penned this song. Friends, it was never about the Sabbath, which would have been the first rest. The one that had been given. It's amazing. God already had a plan. You know, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to his eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose of God has been set before the foundation of the world, friends. Psalm 119.89, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Before the foundation of the world, God set his will. 
He already purposed before he ever created the world. And in that purpose, the one that he established before the foundation of the world, in that purpose was a rest. But in that purpose, it never was the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was, was, was a part of the creation week. Exodus 20, 11. In six days thou created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And the Sabbath day. The Bible says, and thou rested on the seventh day. And the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, right? Exodus 20, 11. It was their day. God paralleled it with the six solar days. The creation week, God paralleled it. But do you know that God never gave it until Sinai? Do you know that Abraham never kept the Sabbath day? You know Isaac and Jacob never kept the Sabbath day? God didn't give the Sabbath day until Sinai. Turn with me to Nehemiah. You might want to mark this in your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Nehemiah tells God this. Thou camest down upon Sinai and spakest to them from heaven. And the Bible says that God gave them good judgments or right right judgments and and good law and and true laws and good good commandments and and uh, excuse me good statutes and and commandments and 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 made known unto them the holy sabbaths now i want you to know this happened at sinai god did not command the sabbath day to be observed until sinai and It was localized to the people of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 12. God gave them his Sabbath. And he gave it to them as a commemoration. Deuteronomy 5.15. They were servants in Egypt. But God delivered them by, by the might of his power and his outstretched hand. And God said remember the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day as a commemoration from the time I brought you out of Egypt. Friends, it never was about the Sabbath day. Never was about the Sabbath day. If it was about the Sabbath day, Abraham would have kept it. Isaac, Jacob, the fathers would have kept it. Friends, it never was about the Sabbath day. But a rest remains. They didn't rest in Canaan. We proved that in the introduction. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18, Judges 2, 3, they're divine commentaries on each other. As I stated at, at, at my home congregation at Ottawa in, in a Bible class, Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 16 through 18 drives all of the book of Judges. Those three passages, those three verses drive the entire book of Judges. But there remains a rest, the Hebrews writer said. So it never was about the Sabbath day and never was about Canaan, but a rest remains. But the rest that we're talking about, juxtaposing with the rest of eternity, is Joshua's rest. 
Joshua tried. God bless Joshua. Joshua tried. Joshua tried to, 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 to get those people to do what God would have them do. But they were stiff-necked people. They were hard-hearted people. They would not drive those people out. And Joshua did what he could. Joshua tried to give them the rest that God promised. He tried. But a rest remains. There's a rest that's greater than Joshua's rest. And it is Jesus Christ's rest. Remember Psalm 95, 11. But I swear unto them by my wrath, they should not enter in. Friends, though they would not enter into Canaan's rest because of disobedience, that scripture is prophetic. That's why the Hebrew writer quotes it. You understand the theme of the book of Hebrews? You had Hebrew Christians who were about on the verge of giving up eternity because of a, a little bit of persecution. Now, that persecution would intensify, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, my conviction is the day approaching is the day of the intense persecution. But they were already receiving persecution by the hand of their own brethren. They were receiving persecution by the hand of the Jews. And so these Hebrew Christians were making up in their mind. Hey, you know what? When we were observing the law of Moses, everybody was leaving us alone. They left us alone to just go into the temple when we wanted to and offer our little sacrifices and have our little localized religion. And nobody bothered us. But now that we're following this Christ guy, everybody's mad at us. And so let us go back. But the Hebrew writer begs and pleads with them, do not go back to a law that could never save you in the first place. Hebrews chapter 8. There is a rest remaining. It's greater than Joshua's rest. It's the heavenly rest. It's always been that. It's the eternal rest of Jesus Christ. Jesus says it this way. Matthew chapter 11. You guys know the passage. Verse 28 and 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are of heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here, Jesus, you will give us rest here? No. No. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. For in this world you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. No, you won't have peace here. 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. No, you won't have peace here. Matthew 11.28-30, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it comes through uh, an obedient faith in Christ. In order to receive that rest. So number one, we beware. Number two, we believe. And finally, number three, if you look back at the passage. Verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That rest, no, not the Sabbath, no, not Canaan, that rest. Let us enter into 
that rest, lest any man fall after the same example. Friends, that word, that phrase, same example of unbelief, that phrase is paramount. If you ever want to show a Christian who has fallen away, if you ever want to show them their condition with God right now, study the book of Hebrews with them. Study the book of Hebrews with them. So we, be, we beware, we believe, and we behold. Verses 10 and 11. Take heed. Take heed to the conditions. For he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. The conclusion of, of this first section of Hebrews chapter 4, that Christ's rest is superior to Joshua's. Verses 1 through 11. Well, what is the conclusion of the matter? As we would ask Solomon, please ask these 12, 13, and 14, what's the conclusion of the matter? All right, Solomon, what did you learn? Like, what do we learn here? What does the Hebrews writers teach us? What, do, what does he conclude in verses 1 through 11? He says, look at this. Behold this. Conclude this. Work first. Rest later. Work first. Rest later. Revelation 13, 14. 14, 13. Apologies. John said, and I, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Their works follow them to rest. They work first, they rest second. Too many Christians want to rest first and rest second. Too many Christians want to sit on their do-nothings and do nothing. While the church dies and this world goes to hell in a handbasket, many Christians are just content sitting in the pews doing nothing. They want to rest now and rest later. No, no ma'am, no sir. No ma'am, no sir. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Paul certainly quotes Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 to 14. When Solomon comes to the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. Every man must give account of things that he has done, whether they be good or evil. Paul certainly quotes Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13 and 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. He quotes Solomon. No, ma'am, no, sir. We don't rest first and rest second. We work now, rest later. Work first, rest later. Israel wanted to rest now and rest later. We don't want to, we don't want to drive out these people. We, we don't want to do this. We just want to go in the land and we just want to, we just want to mix and mingle with them. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to make enemies. We just, we just want to, we just want, God said, it's a land you didn't even work for. You have houses you didn't build. You're eating out of vineyards you didn't plant. 
All I told you to do was go in and take it. Work now. Rest later. Christ worked and then rested. You'll recall in John 19.30, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He worked, then he rested. Paul worked, then he rested. Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm now ready to be offered. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. We work now and we rest later. And so Jesus gives the promise that we will hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. He gives us the promise that if he left, he's coming again. And if he's coming again, the faithful will be received unto him that where he is, they would be also. Friends, that's the promise. That's the rest. It's greater than anything Joshua could have ever given. Only thing that Joshua could have given would be rest from war. Rest from man. And then based on the whims and fancies of men, that could change. But Jesus Christ offers the eternal rest that we work now and we receive later. The rest of Jesus is is superior to Joshua. Jesus offers an eternal rest, but the question would be this. Have you prepared yourself to rest? Have you done the works of righteousness? Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following, we are the salt of the earth. The salt has lost the Savior. It is good for nothing but to be henceforth cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You're the light of the world, the city that's set on a hill. We don't light a candle and put her under a bushel, but on a lampstand that all may see. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Are we doing those works? Are we being the light of the world, glorifying our Father Jesus Christ to an adulterous and perishing generation? Or are we resting on our do-nothings, doing nothing? Because that's what Israel did. Let me tell you the easiest way to go to hell. Do nothing. Easiest way to go to hell. By far. Just do nothing. Hell will be filled with people who did nothing. In order to receive the rest, we must obey the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day according to the scriptures. We must hear that. Hebrews eleven six, Romans 10, 17. We must believe it. John 8, 24. We must be willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We must be willing to repent of our sins. Luke 13, 3 through 5. And then we must obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. And the way that we obey the gospel is by being baptized for the remission of our sins. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. And through that act of obedience, we have then, in fact, obeyed the gospel. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. 
And upon the consummating act of baptism, the Lord himself will add us to the only church you can read about in this Bible, the church of Christ. Romans 16, 16. The Lord promised to build in Matthew 16, 18. He shed his blood for it, Acts 20, 28. He married it, Ephesians 5, 25. And he's coming back for it, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It is the church of Christ, friends. Make no mistake about it. It's the only one that heaven has a record of. Heaven doesn't know of another church. The Lord himself will add you to that church. Acts 2.41, Acts 2.47. The lesson is yours. The rest of Jesus far superior to that that Joshua could have ever given. And he wasn't even able to give it. If you are a member of the Lord's church and you are subject to the Lord's invitation through repentance, confession, and prayer, if you found yourself a guilty distance away from God, you can make that known. It's a good prayer in church. I'm, I know that they would be willing to pray with you and for you to help you get back in step with God. Amos 3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? So if you've gotten out of step with God, then certainly you need to repent, confess, and ask the church to pray for you so that you can get back in step with God, so that you can experience that rest. Whatever the case may be, if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, will you respond as we together stand and sing?